All right, so we are in the book of James, um, and we are in the very first, as Daddy said, book of, of chapter of James. And um, we did uh, the first four verses last time. And by way of review, what did we learn? We saw that uh, James was writing to early Christians. Move over here a little bit. Uh, most of whom were Jews who had been scattered from Israel because of persecution. James knew that they had already experienced various trials, and furthermore, he knew that they were going to experience trials. There was an encouragement. Also, you may come across the word in your reading, exhortation, a real um, encouragement um, to reframe, with respect to these trials, your perspective how you look at it, and your practice, how do you handle the trials. With respect to the perspective, he said to consider the positive in the trials, and we read uh, this verse, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, from a perspective standpoint, he said, consider the positives. This is a true test of faith that God is going to use to make you stronger and to make you more like him. And with respect to the practice, he said, let steadfastness or endurance or patience, as some of the other translations say, have its full effect. In other words, hang in there with it, endure it, receive it to a degree, because it's going to take a while for this work uh, to happen and, and just so hang in there while the trial was going on. I didn't touch on it too much last time, but it's worth mentioning that this concept is reflected in a couple of other passages. Paul reinforces this in Romans. Uh, chapter 5, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 1, says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what are the points by this? I think the points are these. This is an important concept, right? We've got three teachers, an apostle, a late apostle in the form of Paul, and perhaps a late apostle in the form of Jesus' brother, all saying this is an important concept that we are going to have suffering. We need to remember that God knows that we're suffering. Together with that, God is a good God, right? God knows. God is good. And the other concept which I think is important for us to continue to keep our our eyes on is that our soul, our faith, our true 
in innerness, our, our true self, that that is the part that's important. That is the part that's important. So, what's the transition to today's passage? Verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So the transition here, this little literary device that James is using to lead us from one thought to the next is this word lack or lacking. It's at the end of verse 4 and it's at the beginning of verse 5. And it's, we talked about that it's hard to find structure sometimes in James, but this is a well-recognized uh, structure to um, tie these concepts together. And that is the notion of lack. One commentator said, James and others, like Peter and Paul, argument may seem logical, but it is difficult to see how trials can be overcome, or I'm sorry, trials can be welcomed with an attitude of joy. Where does one turn for help to understand this paradox? Well, the help comes in asking for wisdom. So, we're going to be talking about wisdom, we're going to be talking about faith, we're going to be talking about doubt. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generally, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you, one of you lacks wisdom. So, as one commentator said, James makes his case that testing ought to be received with joy for it results in benefit, and that wisdom is needed as a gift from God in order to perceive testing in this manner. Do you guys have in your mind a working definition of wisdom? What do you think of when you think of wisdom? The ability to apply knowledge. The ability to apply knowledge? It's hard to improve on that. What else? A lot of common sense. I like that. I was reading one commentator. He said, you know, he said, I had a professor one time that was just brilliant, but he had no common sense. He said, one time I saw him walking around campus with two hats on. <laughs> I mean, that's just strange, right? I think we've all seen a few crazy professors, perhaps. You can be really smart, but not know how to apply that. Somebody said that knowledge involves the ability to take things apart and maybe understand them. Wisdom is the ability to put it all back together again, right? Um, without any leftover parts, <laughs> which is uh, something that I know a little bit about. This is, uh, somebody said it's, uh, Knowledge is acknowledging that that tomatoes are fruit. <laughs> okay. Wisdom is that it doesn't go in a fruit salad. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So you get the idea that, and in and in in scripture, uh, 
when you think of a, a repository of wisdom, you can't help but think about Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is often pers um, personified um, as a, typically a, a female, um, insert your own comments here, um, <laughs> the female having uh, wisdom and it says, what, is, you know, what does she tell us to do and how do we respond to, to Lady Wisdom? Um, it was considered that wisdom was a, a real deep understanding of God and of what God was about and what his plans were to bring things about. That was considered true wisdom. Uh, let's see, it says, in the New Testament generally, wisdom is allied to understanding God's purposes and plan and indicates a determination to live accordingly. So it adds not just the Old Testament definition of knowing God and understanding what he wants to do. He says in the New Testament, this commentator puts it together with an inclination to, to actually do that, to, to uh, align your uh, direction of life with what you understand of God's direction. So now we're starting to, to see and, uh, how wisdom could help us with the trials because now we're starting to realize, okay, God's got a plan in all this. I need to align my attitudes with what's going on. I need to look for the positive in this trial. I need to understand how God is working in me in this trial. Uh, that's this whole wisdom concept. So, how do we get wisdom? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, I think it's the funniest verse, I mean, the funniest word in this verse is the first word, if. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? Um, I think it probably should have said, since you all lack wisdom. But he's being kind here. He says, if, you know, just by, by chance, if some of you lack wisdom, uh, I'm going to tell you how to do it. It says, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So it says, ask. So all the time in Scripture we're told to ask. And periodically we're going to come across texts in James that will tell us how closely connected he was with the teachings of his half-brother Jesus. And this is one of those. Uh, both in Matthew and also in Luke, which I like Luke's uh, telling of it. In 11.9 it says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. That, to me, talks about the person that's doing the asking. But the best part about this is where we learn about the person that we're asking our, our, our request from, and that's Jesus, our, in this case, God, the Father. And he uses the, the human example. It says, What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is going to give, it says he's going to give generously, right? And it says without reproach. This, he's going to be kind. He's not going to be um, judging us, right? Um, 
he's going to receive our request because we're asking. He's not going to criticize us for being unwise when we're asking for wisdom, right? That's, you know, we, we get this overly paternalistic view of God as some strict authoritarian God that's always got his checklist out and always judging us and always got a report card and it's never going to be good enough. And then we, we get to the point where we feel we can't, we don't feel comfortable asking God for something because we haven't been very good lately. You guys ever encounter that? You know, you feel like you ought to clean up a little bit first before you can ask that. You know, why should I even pray? You know, I haven't, I just haven't, you know, read my Bible lately. I haven't been praying lately. You know, maybe I ought to, and, and sometimes we don't maybe take it to that extreme, but there's something in us that, is like that. And of course, I think Satan accuses us and he tries to, you know, make us feel bad about our sin, which of course we have. Uh, but the Holy Spirit's never going to so much be accusing as, as leading us to get in right relationship with God and God's going to be ready to hear our prayer. Uh, he's not going to be uh, judging us. It says he will give generously and without approach. But then we get to this little bit of a qualifier here. Verse 6, and we need to figure out what do we do with this. It says, but let him ask in faith. So we're supposed to ask. How are we supposed to ask? We're supposed to ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this kind of at first glance, kind of contradicts what I was just saying, right? It's kind of saying maybe we should kind of really have all our doubts squared away before we approach God. It's kind of, I mean, if you just read it simply, that's kind of what it says. And you need to be careful because verses like this have been perverted a bit. Have you ever heard the concept of somebody who said, well, you know, you weren't healed because you were doubting when you prayed, right? You must not have prayed hard enough because you obviously or had enough faith because obviously, would, you know, if you had prayed and if you hadn't doubted, then, you know, you can, you can get what you need. We'll encounter this a little later in James again, but, you know, what's, what's the answer to this kind of contradiction? Because is this is this concept that it says no doubting no doubting is that black and white no doubting if there's any doubt then you're not getting it is that is that consistent with the god that gives generously not really right is that consistent with a god who gives generally without reproach not really so what is what does this really mean So here's, here's how I kind of um, thought about this. Um, and it's this general concept of uh, dealing with doubt. First of all, um, I think in general the Bible is kind. God is kind to those who doubt. I think there's evidence for that. In Jude, there's a verse... 
there's the prayer uh, that is a, a prayer of encouragement and to the the people there that are receiving the book of Jude and he says you know it was kind of like one of those just thoughts that just popped in and it says and have mercy on those who doubt you know they're going to be those that doubt have mercy on them don't criticize them don't put them out you know it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Julie Andrews and the sound of music when she's praying for the kids and she hadn't learned all their names yet you know, she says, you know, God bless what's his name, you know. Um, <laughs> and he says, you know, and, and have mercy on those who doubt. You know, they're going to be doubters. Um, J.C. Ryle says, contend to the death for the truth that no man is a true Christian who is not converted or is not a holy man. It, his, here's the point. Allow a man may be converted, he may have a new heart, he may be a holy man, yet still be liable to infirmity, doubts, and fears. You can be a Christian and still doubt. Um, I think that's, you know, kind of human. So, again, how do we reconcile that with, with James? So here's, here's uh, a couple of examples that I think explain this. I think you can doubt, but yet your underlying actions tell God you're still looking to him. So I would say you, you can put yourself in a posture of belief and can carry along your doubts with you if that's just kind of where you are in the walk. So here's the example. Our most famous doubter, of course, is Thomas. This was interesting as I was reviewing this. Listen to this. It says, one of the twelve, Thomas, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. And he said, of course, famously, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas with, with, was with them. And even though the doors are locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a, a believer. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. What was kind of highlighted to me as I reread this was when Thomas was really doubting, he wasn't with the disciples. But even though he had no new fresh information, In this second passage, his heart was still inclined toward God. It was still inclined toward Jesus. And now he was associating with the disciples again. He was with them. His posture was that of a believer, even though he still had doubts. Because he was, he was there with them. He was there with them. There are different kinds of doubts. Um, there's one that's absolutely not believing. Like you, somebody asked you to pray for something, and say, I doubt that he'll ever answer it. Hmm. So, I think there, and this gets to one of those things where it says God knows your heart, right? Mm 
I think somebody could say the words of a prayer, but their heart could be truly of a, of a cynic saying, I'll say these words, but I know God's not going to do anything. But I think you could almost have the same words and you could say, God, I'm praying to you. I know you can do this. I'm not sure you will, but I know you can. And this is what I'm praying. And to me, that's a sincere heart whose posture, the very posture is that even though you have your doubts, you're bringing those with you to God. And I think that's where this thing about no doubting, I think we don't want to carry that too far. I think there is this distinction between are you, are you bringing everything to God, including your doubts? I think, I think God's okay with that. Um, the man with the um, where is it did I not put it in here the man who had the child who was possessed of a demon and the man brings his child and says, your, demon, your disciples couldn't cast the demons out. Can you help me? Please help us. And Jesus basically says, or he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, you mean, what's this, if you can he says, all things are possible for him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and says, I believe, help my unbelief. So he, he brought his unbelief with him, but yet his posture was he brought himself and his child to the foot of Jesus. So I think that posture, that, and we're going to find out a lot in James about faith and works, faith and action. So, this sounds like authentic faith to me. If your actions cause you to bring your child to the foot of Jesus, is that consistent with somebody who doesn't think God can help? No, it's not. I think that's true faith. All right. Let me talk about just a couple other things. I, I think you guys get this, get this concept. If you lack wisdom, ask. Ask in faith. And I think we should always ask to God to help us with our doubts. Um, one commentator says, it says, uh, you know, if you're in these trials and, and James says, pray for wisdom, he said, well, why not pray for deliverance? Wouldn't that, <laughs> wouldn't that be good? Uh, why not ask for strength or grace? And one commentator says, we need the wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature. Warren Wiersbe says the story, a first person, he says, an associate of mine, a gifted secretary, was going through great trials. She had had a stroke, her husband had gone blind, and then he had to be taken to the hospital where we were sure he would die. 
And he says, I saw her in church one Sunday and assured her that I was praying for her. Well, what are you asking God to do, she asked. And her question startled me. I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you, I replied. She said, I appreciate that, but pray about one more thing. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all this. I mean, that's, that's I think, right in alignment with what James is saying. Um, part of the reason that he says to pray for wisdom is that we'll know what's going on and it won't be wasted. And we can see God's hand in all the things that are going on. One of the other uh, things I'll just comment on in closing, um, one of the themes that we'll see in James is this concept of spiritual integrity. And this concept of this being doubting and tossed to and fro by the wind, um, it's part of that concept is, as I was alluding to, do your actions match up with your words, right? Um, do, they, do they match? And so when he says, let him ask in faith without doubting, I think it's the, the point is he's wanting your faith and your actions to match. And like the two examples of Thomas and the man with the uh, possessed child, um, I think their faith was authentic. Their, their actions matched their faith, uh, even though their faith had some holes in it, uh, but, but they were still um, having an authentic faith. Uh, so look out for that theme of spiritual integrity as we as we go through James. All right, I think that wraps us up for this passage. Uh, any comments? It's better to have Swiss cheese on your sandwich than no cheese at all. I love that. It's better. So if there's holes in your faith, that's better than no faith at all. Swiss cheese is better than no cheese. I would add that I think Swiss cheese is better than most cheese. Um, <laughs> All right, I think that I love that. Father, thank you for um, what, what a great what a great picture that that is. Just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this class and the way that they continue to teach us. Uh, Father, give us wisdom. Give it generously and help our help our faith to grow uh, as we endure what you have before us. And uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who uh, is here with us and uh, can guide us and teach us in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.